Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. I'm concluding a series on the beauty of the body of Christ. And I started it uh, two weeks ago. And the first message I gave was on the beauty of the body from a heavenly perspective. And I talked about our calling. You realize we've actually been called to something. We're not just Christians. Uh, We're actually called to be a part, members of the body of Christ. We're actually called to be a part of the bride. In other words, Jesus is going to come back for this living entity that He's going to be joined with for eternity. Right? We have a wedding feast to go to. You guys ready for the wedding? You got your clothes all ironed and pressed. and right? Actually, their revelation tells us what kind of clothes we have. It's white linen. Okay? So that's good. So we talked about we're going to be uh, joined to Christ for eternity. Uh, the, the new heavens is going to come down. We're going to be in the new heavens. And the whole thing is going to be lit up. It's going to be the most incredible light display the entire universe has ever seen. And we're going to be there, ruling and reigning with Christ on His throne forever and ever. So that was a great... I mean, isn't that encouraging? I mean, that's where we're going. It's not an option. You can't undo that. You can't... Even if you sin, you can't undo that fact for yourself. Because the Holy Spirit lives in you, and He's going to convict you, and you're going to confess, you're going to get right, and it's going to be okay. You're going to be with Him. We're going to make it, okay? Uh, last week I told you I was going to bring the church down to earth. Okay, is the church still beautiful on earth? And the answer was yes. And I showed you how the body of Christ functions by giving you an illustration of the human body. Remember I told you if you get cut, you bleed. What happens? All these systems in our bloodstream get activated, right? All these clotting factors, all these chemical processes go on. And the next thing you know, the clot stops. Amazing. And so I use that as an analogy that God has a design in the body of Christ to help us to overcome, to do the work of the ministry, to take care of the less presentable members. Remember that? We give, we make them more presentable. Those that are less honorable, we make them more honorable. And so in the body of Christ, we laugh with each other. We laugh with those who laugh. We cry with those who cry. And I shared illustrations of how beautiful that is. I mean, it's awesome uh, to see how people are taking orders from their head, Jesus Christ, and the, the beauty of the body is in action right now as we speak. Yes, there's, there's millions of Christians across this country. There's mil- there's, how many people do you think are going to get saved today, right now as I'm speaking? How many, think, how many people do you think are going to get healed across this country? I mean... Guys, God, that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. We, we sang a lot about the Holy Spirit this morning. That's what's happening in the body. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are operating in all the church, all throughout this land, all over the earth. Um, so we talked about that last week. Today, what happens when the bride gets dirty? Okay, That's what I want to talk to you about. Um, you don't have to really know too much uh, about what's going on to know that the church has taken some hits, right? There's a lot of negativity. Um, of course, the world points points out our hypocrisy. And if somebody falls, it's a high-profile person. I mean, it's all over the news, right? Such and such commits adultery, such and such embezzles. I read some statistic. It says like 37% of pastors, and it was Barnard, it was a reputable uh, Statistic: 37% of pastors have admitted to looking at online pornography. Okay, so I'm not going to go into all these statistics. We know we have problems, right? We know there's adultery in the, in the camp. We know there's sin. We sin. We know there's divorce. We know there's separation. We know we yell. We know we get angry and upset, don't we? I mean, we do. We sin. Um, we see it. The world sees it. So the question is, can we be a bride without spot and without wrinkle? I mean, can that really be? Knowing what we all know. We all know what we're like, right? Is it possible? And the answer is, yes, it's possible, and that's today's message. How can it be possible when we sin? 
So I want to take you through some things today. Um, in one of my messages, I asked you a question. Uh, do you got to go to church or did you get to go to church? And I, <laughs> I didn't mean for this testimony to come up, but um, on that, you know, we, we go to the Jefferson House on Sunday. Okay, that's today. On third Saturday, I take a group to the Carrington. And we minister at that nursing home. So it's Thursday or Friday night, right? And I'm looking at my schedule to see what's upcoming. And I saw on the schedule Carrington. And you know what my thought was? Oh, i got to go to the Carrington. Okay. Oh, i got to go to the Carrington. What kind of attitude is that? It's not a good one, is it? Now, fortunately, the Holy Spirit convicted me of that. <laughs> and I repent. Okay, I repent. I'll do that a few times today. I'll be confessing a few things. I'll be repenting. I forgot to bring dust with me to sprinkle on my head. <laughs> um, <clears throat> But see, attitude is so big, isn't it? It's huge. And I repented of that and I said, thank you, Lord, I get to go to the Carrington to minister to these precious, uh, some of them are non-presentable parts of the body, and I get to go make them more presentable. I get to go bestow more abundant honor on them. Thank you, Lord. And that's what we did. We took our family over and we ministered to them. It was an incredible blessing. So I want to talk to you about attitude because you know how critical Attitude is, in fact, everything starts with attitude. Attitude, right, there's thoughts in your brain. Some of them are like butterflies, which are beautiful, noble thoughts, good thoughts, lovely thoughts, right? Uh, we're supposed to think and dwell on those things. But then you got the mosquitoes that come in your brain. And what do we like to do with mosquitoes? We need to do this, right? When I was sitting out yesterday, it was late afternoon, I was just sitting outside enjoying myself. And mosquitoes are like overwhelming me. And I thought, what is this? I thought they're supposed to come out at dusk or something. But So we have these thoughts, right? Um, our attitudes. And what can we do to overcome these thoughts and these attitudes? So I just want to share a little bit about overcoming attitudes, okay? So you guys may be familiar with Proverbs 23.7. I'm going to give you the answer first. Then I'm going to share some testimonies with you. Um, as a man thinks in his heart... So is he. We all know that, right? Another one was uh, uh, Matthew 12:34. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we know those things. Bad thoughts lead to bad speech, which can lead to bad actions, right? Okay, so if I can cut the thoughts off, I can stop the bad behavior. That'd be good, right? That'd be a good thing. Okay. So let's, let's just look. You know, I was thinking um, just a couple examples that we need to overcome here. I'm going to start with us in the church. If you're at church, if you volunteer in the church, like you like to do work, you volunteer, maybe you're over a ministry, maybe you're somebody like me, maybe you're an elder, maybe you're a pastor, you're on a leadership team, whatever you are, it doesn't matter. Um, you volunteer for things, right? And... A lot of people, especially in the church that do ministry outreach, they try to get others involved in their outreach. Like actually, Pastor Willie was doing uh, just a few minutes ago. We need some help after church today. Well, you know, sometimes if you're really working hard and you're trying to get people involved and people can't do it, they can't volunteer, um, you can have the wrong thoughts. Would you agree? You might get discouraged. Uh, and there's something, <laughs> there's this principle that doesn't really help, I don't think. It's called the 80-20 rule. Do you ever hear this? 20% of the people do 80% of the work? Yeah. Do you ever wonder where that came from? I looked it up, I Googled it, uh, and a number of sources pointed. This Italian economist in 1906, right, he comes, he, he has this thought, he notices that uh, 20% of the people own 80% of the land. So this, this 80-20 principle is born. Well, here we are over 100 years later. In healthcare, what do we use? Isn't there an 80-20 rule that we use? And I even looked it up. There's the, there's the, there are all these management principles that use this 80-20 thing. And the management principles I used were, were negative. That, they weren't good. But I thought, you know, do we really need this principle in the church? 
Do we really need to say, you know what, there's really only 20% of us in this church doing any work. Does that sound good to you? No. One, it's not true. And two, even if it was true, it's more of a negative thought. It's just something that we're going to have to overcome. So I would rather see my job as getting people to help me. If there's nobody helping me to do a ministry, it's, really, it's more of a test for me. It's, it's not on you. It's on me. Do I have the faith to believe that God can raise people up and get the job done? Right? So that's, I think that's how we should look at it. So I want to mention that because would you agree you could get discouraged if people don't help you? And if you verbalize that discouragement to someone else, what happens when you verbalize discouragement? It can come out as complaining, criticism, right? So we don't need to complain. We don't need to be critical. So we want to stop that attitude. And, and I'm pointing to me. If you're a church worker and you volunteer, um, hopefully you've never, you've never thought that way. But if you do, you know, I'm going to tell you how we can overcome that here in a minute. Um, another example of a bad attitude that I had um, recently, uh, actually I've had it for probably years. Um, when I think of the American church, I think of the worldliness sometimes. I think of, I think of the lust. I think of... Um, I think of the adultery, I think of divorce, I think of you know stuff like that. And I've had the thoughts, okay, not good thoughts, thoughts in my mind going around like, you know, if, if I were to pastor, it probably wouldn't be here. I'd probably really, I'd rather go to a third country to pastor. Isn't that terrible? But see, I'm being honest with you, okay, because the Holy Spirit knows what He's doing. Unfortunately, <laughs> I hear His voice and I listen to Him on this one. But he convicted me on that last Saturday night, right before the message. And I didn't want to bring it last Saturday. I wanted to bring it for this one. Um, I realized I was wrong. The Holy Spirit said, you're wrong. That's a bad attitude. And so I said, you're right. And I've held it in me for years. I haven't verbalized it. I don't think to hardly. I don't think I've verbalized it to anyone. But the thoughts were still in there. They're like dormant thoughts, okay? And all of a sudden, they, one day they get verbalized. And as soon as they get verbalized... Complaining can follow, criticism can follow, negativity can follow, and it's not good. And it, it brings division into the body. It's terrible. So I repent again. Okay, again, I should have brought some dust. I sprinkled more dust over my head. Okay? Um, so don't think that way. In fact, the me- this message, these messages are for me because I needed to hear, I needed the refreshing I needed the correction from God on how beautiful the entire body of Christ is. It doesn't matter whether someone's sinned and fallen. They're beautiful, man. They're gonna, I'm going to rule and reign with that person. And it's only by the grace of God that I haven't fallen like that. Okay, you've heard, I don't know if you've ever heard somebody tell you, you're a smoker. You're addicted to nicotine. You say, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Except for the grace of God, you are. You really are. You're addicted to smoking. You can't stop. I mean, isn't that something? Why, why am I not addicted to smoking? Is, it, is something inherently strong in me? No. It's by the grace of God. You know, why haven't I fallen into adultery? It's by the grace of God. So when we look at people, we really need to look through the eyes of grace, okay? And not get attitudes about, <laughs> yep, another pastor fell. Can't believe it. Wrong attitude. What was David David's attitude when Saul, who tried to kill him, fell? Remember what David's attitude was? He cried. He wept. He wept. Okay, that should be our attitude. So, um, you know, we have other attitudes in the church. Some of you may disagree with church leadership. Maybe you request something, you don't get it. You have thoughts, right? They come in your mind. Well, how come? I don't understand. I don't, what's their problem? I mean, you know, the thoughts, they start to come, right? Next thing you know, you're with somebody else in the church, and what do you do? Or you're tempted to do? You share it with them. And it's kind of a gossip thing, right? Don't want to go there. Don't want those thoughts to even come out of your brain, okay? Um, It happens. It happens with me. It happens with all of us. Uh, A lot of times we get a, a notion about somebody, and we'll call somebody on the phone, and we'll start telling them about, oh, so and so, and so and so, and or pastor this, or. Right? Is that good to do? 
No, we don't want to do that. So how can we beat the attitude thing? This is great. I love it. One of my uh, favorite scriptures, which I've already mentioned, was, um, you know, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We can cut off the thinking in our brain and in our heart. Okay, so let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 10.5. Paul shows us how to do this. Do you have that up there? Yeah, there we go. Okay, so we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Okay, so we are destroying what? Speculations. What are speculations? Thoughts. Right? Imaginations. Things that pop in your mind. They're the mosquitoes. We want to do this. So when a stray thought comes into your brain that's negative, what do we want to do? Destroy it. Okay? And then Paul goes on to say, hey, we take them captive. It's like a butterfly net, right? You ever see someone run and chase butterflies with a butterfly net? You catch, catch a butterfly. So we need to catch these thoughts. Well, how do you know what thoughts are good thoughts and how do you know what thoughts are bad thoughts? Well, if you know the Word of God and you have the Holy Spirit, you know. But if you never read your Bible, you're going to have a hard time doing this. I mean, you really are. The only reason, I mean, how are we convicted? Because of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit in us. So you got to know the Word. I mean, you got you have to read it every single day. I mean, you need to meditate on it, chew on it. So then, when these thoughts come in, because see what they're going to be raised up against the knowledge of God. So if you don't know the knowledge of God, you have no idea what's being raised against the knowledge of God. Okay, but let's say we know it's being raised. How do you stop a thought? I mean, it's bouncing around between your ears. How do you stop it from causing damage? You ever think of that? Well, we can rebuke it. We can actually speak to your thoughts. Say, well, that's weird. It is weird. We're weird. We're Christians. I mean, we are. I mean, Israel was called a peculiar people. It's okay to talk to yourself. Say, no, I don't receive that thought. I don't receive that at all. It's when we chew on it. You guys know chew the cud. They regurgitate, chew it, swallow it, regurgitate, chew it. If you chew on these negative thoughts, you're going to be swallowed up by the negative thoughts. But if you choose to reject it, you don't receive it, say, no, I'm not thinking that way. That's not the way God thinks. I rebuke it. I don't receive it. Period. Over. Out. Done with. Get behind me. Satan. Right? That's what you do. But that's not enough. If you just do that, that's not enough. You say, well, such a scripture says to do. No, it's not enough. Here's what you have to do. You have to replace the negative thoughts with something from God. So someone offends you or, or some, some person maybe has done something to you to give you a bad attitude, you immediately say, you know what, Lord, I bless them. God, thank you for them. Man, God, I'm going to rule and reign with them on, the throne, on your throne. Lord, bless them. Thank you for them. And you start speaking, you start praying over them, you start blessing them, or whatever your situation is. You see, you're, you're being proactive. It's not enough to catch a thought. You have to replace the thoughts through prayer and through what God says. Does that make sense? You have to do it. If you don't do it, you'll get chewed up and spit out, and it's, it doesn't feel good. It's horrible. What else can we do? It's what I did already. I confessed a couple times to you. James 5.16 Right? Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. So you guys can pray for me so that I can overcome these thoughts. Right? Because that's what the Scripture says. So I'm confessing to you. In fact, a prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Guys, sometimes we feel shame, right? Like we don't want to confess to each other, honestly, because it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing for me to confess certain sins to people, right? We have to do it, though. It's okay. In fact, it's the design of the church, God's design in the body of Christ is to activate saints for confession. Now, how those little platelets were activated to release and help stop clots in your body? We are activated for confession. Isn't that cool? I mean, it should be a normal... It's okay. I don't need to feel bad because I just confessed I sinned in front of you. It's actually God's design. That's how, the, that's how this bride is going to be without spot 
without wrinkle is because we can confess to one another. So let's do it. Another example is, um, I'll share an illustration. This is something you can do that's very helpful to overcome a bad attitude. Years ago I was in church, and there was a leader, and uh, he seemed aloof, you know, kind of cold. And, uh, you know, I, was, I might say hi to him. He didn't seem to get a smile back, whatever the situation was. And my thoughts, okay, the mosquitoes start coming in. My thoughts start saying, you know, God, man, he's proud. He's, he's cold. I mean, he's, something's wrong with this guy. How do I know that? How do we know that? He didn't tell me there was something wrong with him. But thoughts came into my mind. What am I going to do with those thoughts? Well, fortunately, the Holy Spirit told me, he said, get up with him. I said, okay. So uh, it took some courage to do it. I mean, I was younger, and he was an older guy, and he was a leader. So I asked him, I said, hey, can we get together? I got together with this guy. I had a great conversation. I mean, he told me about his family, and he shared his heart with me. I thought, man, this guy's a great guy. So the, another strategy to overcome a bad attitude, or, or I shouldn't say a bad attitude, it sounds so negative, negative thoughts in our mind, right, is get up with people, build relationships with people, serve people, love people, get to know people, get to know your leaders, get to know the people in the church, because you'll see their heart. And then when they do something stupid or sin, it's like, I know his heart, man, I know he didn't mean that, right? Isn't that cool? If I know if eight of you try to get up with me, I'll know what's going on. <laughs> At least try to space it out, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding, I hope. <laughs> um, okay, so attitude. Everything starts with attitude. Offenses, big, guys. I'm giving you all the big stuff today. Offenses. we got to overcome offenses. Proverbs 17, 9. One of my favorite scriptures, he who covers an offense promotes love, but if you repeat it, if you repeat the matter, you separate close friends. In other words, if you take revenge or try to get back at somebody, you're going to separate friends. You're going to cause division in the body. Satan comes in, has a field day, and the church is discredited yet once again. All right, another scripture, First uh, Peter 4.8, he tells us that love covers a multitude of sins, right? Yeah, and uh, Galatians 6.14, just give you a few scriptures that I'll make comment on these. Paul said this, he said, I would boast except in the, he said, may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So Paul's saying, hey, the world doesn't affect me because I'm dead. I'm a dead man. I'm crucified, right? Okay, we're dead. So if you insult me, it shouldn't bother me because I'm dead. I'm dead to your insult because I'm in Christ. I'm crucified to the world. Okay, so we're walking dead men, so we need that. We need to know that. That'll be helpful. Okay, so an example on how do you cover offenses? Again, I'm giving you a lot of illustrations. I'm giving you a lot of personal illustrations. I'm sharing where I've blown it, and I'm sharing where I've gotten the victory, okay? So hopefully that'll encourage you. It's okay to be real. It's okay to confess to other people. Okay, so... Um, Years ago, I, I moved into a house 501 South next to Miles Market. And uh, there was a guy who lived behind me who I knew who he was. I'd actually been to his house for a church meeting. And he was an older man of God. I mean, he was a man of God. He had 100 acres. And I was all excited that I was moving right next to this guy. And uh, so I move in, and I go up to his house, and I'm all excited to knock on his door and you know, have fellowship with this guy. The old, I mean, there's a man of God living right next to me. I was pretty excited. So I knock on his door. I say, hey, Fred. I said, I just moved into the house next to Miles Market and, uh, you know, neighbors. <laughs> and he's just like, oh. And all of a sudden, it's like I got this kind of cold reception. And I'm like, yeah. I said, um, maybe we could get together sometime. You know, I'm all like the little boy, happy. And uh, he's like, well, yeah. Um, again, I get this cold reception. I'm like, oh. And I said, well, yeah, I just wanted to come and say hi and just let you know I was moving in. And he's like, okay. And so I said, well, yeah, I'll talk to you later. And I go to give him a hug because back then everyone gave hugs all the time. So I give him a hug. And it was like hugging a board, okay? I mean, it was terrible. 
And I'm not a huggy person anyway, so if, if I give somebody a hug, I'm really putting myself out on the line. It's not easy for me. So if I get rejected, and I can't, it's not good. So I go away, and I think, God, that's just another man of God that won't take the time to disciple somebody younger. We need a little meter in our brains going off, right? Danger, danger, danger. Thought, bad thought, negative thought. Well, the Holy Spirit did that to me. He said, you bless him. I said, okay, I'll bless him. So, every single day, every single day, I came home after work. I stretched out my hands towards his house. And I blessed him. Pray for his wife. I pray for his children. I pray for his grandchildren. I pray for his buffalo. He had a buffalo on his property. I pray for whatever. He just had it on his property. I blessed the guy. I blessed the guy. Week after week, month after month, I blessed this guy. Because God told me to. One day I was in Miles Market, probably getting some greasy chicken. And uh, he was there, probably getting some greasy chicken. <laughs> and I, I see him in there. And um, we're between the uh, rows. And say, hey, how you doing, Fred? And he says, hey, John. An hour later, we left the store. We had the most incredible talk about the Lord. I mean, we just had awesome fellowship between the canned goods and the potato chips. I mean, it was, and his last words, his last words to me were this. He said, you are always invited to my house. You come anytime you want, and we will fellowship. And that's exactly what I did. I went up there a lot, and we fellowshiped. It was just awesome. Great time in the Lord. And I learned a lot from him. He, he had a lot to share with me. But do you see the offense came? Okay, he who covers an offense promotes love. I chose, by God's grace, I chose to cover that offense. What do I mean cover the offense? I mean, how do you cover an offense? How do you forget when somebody treats you wrongly? That's not easy sometimes, is it? Because we get hurt, we get wounded. But one thing I did, really, is I, I forgave him. Right? I forgave him. Not holding it against him. And I'm going to talk about, I'm not going to go into forgiveness yet. I'm going to end with forgiveness. I want to go into another example. But um, on this offense thing, it's the same as uh, the attitude thing. It's not enough to just say in your mind, God, I forgive you. I had to pray and bless him. Okay? We have to be proactive. It's not enough to just go on the defensive and say, okay, God, I won't think negative thoughts. That's not enough. Because you probably will fall. You'll probably fail. You've got to really launch into an attack of blessing on somebody. Okay, that's hope you're getting that. What happens when your children are made fun of? I won't ask you to raise your hand, but probably a lot of you have had children made fun of. And that's, that's not a good feeling, is it? You're like, uh, it happened to me and Debbie. Um, I, felt like, I felt like the mother bear. And her cubs were being violated. I mean, bears go crazy. Um, somebody just died because a bear killed them. Probably because of the cub situation. I mean, you know, the, the hair goes up on the back of your neck. I mean, you get, it's intense when your kids are being made fun of. And man, when that happened, and this was in a Christian school. Okay, <laughs> that's even worse, right? Because uh, we have high expectations. So immediately, my, my thoughts are just flooded with, I'm going to call the parents. I'm going to take care of this. I'll go over there. I'll go right now. I mean, we'll get it taken care of right now. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and... Uh, but you don't do that. Um, hopefully you don't do that. I worked with the principal. We worked with the teachers. And they really did the best they could do. Uh, but they weren't able to completely... I mean, if a kid's going to make fun, teachers can't watch 100% of the time. But anyway, what we did was we prayed for these kids that made fun of my boys. And my boys are a little different. They're from Taiwan. And they look a little different. And um, if you're different, you can get made fun of in our society. In the church, it doesn't matter. Um, but God said, you pray and you bless them. So we forgave these boys. And every night when we go to bed, I have a prayer time and a Bible time with the boys. We pray. And we pray for this Thomas. And we pray for somebody else. And we pray for whoever. 
I pray God's blessings on them. I pray just like I prayed for my boys. I pray for their salvation. I pray they do well in school. I pray for their health. I pray blessings on their family. And we would bless these kids as much as we possibly can because we're not going to take any offense. Those, those kids, one, they don't know what they're doing. And two, it's up to their parents. And their parents are Christians. And uh, I have nothing but blessings for their parents. I mean, I'm going to rule and reign with them on the throne forever. I'm, I'm going to be at the wedding feast of the Lamb with the parents of the kids who made fun of my kids. So I'm not, I'm not going down that road. Okay. Um, one more, one more, uh, <laughs> one more offense I had to take um, years ago. I think it was at a home group uh, I was at. And there was this career missionary who was back. He may have been retired. I don't know. His daughter was there in our home group, and somehow he showed up. Maybe he spoke at the home group. I don't know. A man of God spent all his life overseas ministering. And uh, so was talking with him, and somehow he must have asked me about wanting to be married or something. And I said, yeah, I'd like to be married. And I said, you know, it would be kind of cool on my honeymoon to go on a cruise. And as soon as I said that, he said, cruise? You don't want to go on a cruise. I mean, you know what they do on cruises? I mean, those things are really, you, you do not want to go. Those are terrible. Don't do that. I mean, he just rebuked me. And he, he really lit into me. I thought, wow, <laughs> this isn't good. <laughs> um, fortunately, I held my peace. I didn't say anything. I was probably too shocked to speak to the guy. And I guess I walked away. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I blessed him. I didn't, I didn't let it, I didn't take offense with him. Actually, I was like him. I was a zealot just like he was. And so I may have thought, you know, <laughs> I'm just like this guy. You know, I, I think that way. Uh, and I've, I've shared what he's shared to many people and sometimes with the wrong attitude and the wrong spirit. So anyway, I was, I was able to uh, not take offense with that comment. So how do you not take offense basically forgiveness you're choosing to uh, not let it stick to you you're choosing to bless somebody instead of get them back and curse them Um, next thing is really important Uh, confronting a believer who's in sin I use the word confront that sounds so negative doesn't it but I'll explain to you what I mean by that uh do we do this the right way is the question. I'm not so sure we do. Um, I think it's so much easier if I'm hurt by another believer, I think it's, uh, it's honestly easier to tell somebody else in the church about my offense instead of going to the person who sinned against me. Would you agree it's easier to do that? And that would be gossip, right? So gossip is sin. So we don't want to do that. And I had a thought this morning as to why we don't want to do this process. You know, remember I talked about design of the body. You know, platelets come forth and chemicals are released and your clot is stopped. And then there's a design in the church. This is Jesus' design for us. This is what he wants us to do. This is cool. Matthew 18. In fact, this was my test of eldership. Jerry Daly uh, asked me this question. Fortunately, I got it right. <laughs> I might not be standing here today. Um, you guys have to, you have to memorize this. You have to know this. You have to practice this. Okay, this is, if you don't practice this, other parts of the body are going to bleed. Okay, we don't want that. Okay, Matthew 18, 15. Here's what Jesus' prescription is. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother... Key words, in private, right? In pri- How tempting that is. You just, somebody sins against you, you don't, even need, you don't even make the phone call. Your friend just happens to call you to talk to you about something. How tempting is it to release what that person did to you, to your friend? It's so tempting, man. I mean, it's just, you really want to get it out and gossip. Don't do it. It says, go to them in private. So, how does this work? I'm going to give you some scenarios. Let's say um, 
Yeah, Debbie and I have this interesting system worked out where uh, if we see one or the other starting to get upset with the boys, we'll kind of walk up to each other. It's in private, even though it's the boys will be in the room or the boy who is uh, causing us pain <laughs> um, and we're starting to get upset. So we'll walk up to each other and just kind of quietly whisper, gentle, gentle, be gentle, and then just walk away. Okay, and that helps. So we have these prearranged signals to help us uh, not sin, right? Because what happens if I get angry with my son? What have I done? I've sinned, right? Sin, it's not right. Um, another thing, so it's, it's kind of like Debbie's confronting me, right, in a gentle way, and I'm, I'm telling her. We're, we're kind of warning each other before we... or. If I'm, if I'm getting upset, she'll come up to me. So she'll see me in sin and she'll walk up to me and say, gentle. And that helps me. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I get upset and I blow. <laughs> you know, it's just honestly, and I have to ask forgiveness. So um, that's one thing we can do. Let's say, uh, say you have a friend. You have your friend's house and you're looking at something on computer with them. It could be a cell phone. And you go to YouTube. And on the YouTube page... Uh, there's a really racy video that comes up. And I mean, it's racy. There's just no doubt about it. What do you do? Do you let it go? It would be awkward and embarrassing, would you agree, to mention it to your friend? Yes. Should you mention it to your friend? Yes. How do we do it? You say, well, they haven't sinned. I mean, all I saw was a racy video on their screen. Well, granted, they hadn't sinned. You don't know if they sinned. But I would submit to you that you can ask him a question. Okay, Jesus asked questions. Okay, we don't accuse people. You would never say, you watched a porn video. You would never say that. Because one, you don't know. And two, Satan's the accuser of the brethren, not me. I don't want to accuse anybody, do I? So what you could do is say, say wow, did you, uh, did you watch that video? Real simple question. They say, well, yeah, I did, actually. And yeah, actually, I, sh- I probably shouldn't have. You're right. Um, that's, that's probably not good. Please forgive me for that. That's, that's not a good video I should be watching. Right? So, you know, it's kind of, you, you have to communicate. Tell your brother his fault. Now, let's say you, you may not like that because there wasn't clear sin. Let's say your friend is watching something porn and you see it. You have to tell him. And I was trying to think, you know, why won't, why isn't Matthew 18:15 done that often? I think one reason is, is because it takes courage to tell someone you're in sin, right? It says you have to do this. This isn't a choice. We have to do this. It says, tell him his fault. That's what Jesus says to his body. Tell him his fault. Tell her his fault. It's not an option. This is the design of the church. This is how we get cleansed. Right? I mean, this is what we're supposed to do. Tell him, tell her his fault. Hey, I mean, you watching. Are you watching that? Yeah, I watched it. I mean, that's sin. Did you realize? You, you can't do that. That's sin. Wow, you're right. Please forgive me. And what does Jesus say? If he listens to you, you've won your brother. Isn't that awesome? I mean, the, the platelets are clogging. The cut, the fibrin is there, the bleeding is stopping. Isn't that great? That's a design in the body of Christ. All right, another example was let's say you're a woman. Um, you have roommates, female roommates. Let's say you have a female roommate and um, you wake up one morning, you got to go to work real early. Maybe you leave at 7 and you notice that your roommate's boyfriend's car is parked outside. You're like, ooh, that's not good. So you come home later on that night. What do you do? A, nothing. B, I think I'll just pray for her. C, maybe I should do Matthew 18:15. Okay, but she hasn't sinned, right? You don't know anything yet. But what you need to do is you need to go to the girl, woman, whoever she is. You need to ask her a simple question. Hey, um, I noticed Tim's car was out there this morning when I was going to work. What, what happened? Oh, well, he was staying over last night and uh, he got tired and so I just let him crash with me. 
Okay, A, you stop, don't say anything, and walk away and say, well, I'll just pray for this situation. B, you ask another question. It's not easy asking these questions, is it? And some of you might argue, you might even argue you shouldn't ask these questions, but I think you should. You say, I mean, did you guys do anything? You have to ask these questions. Well, I mean, you know, is my yeah. I mean, did you have sex with him? Well, I mean, yeah. Oh, I mean, you know that's sin, right? Yeah, I know. I probably shouldn't have done that. I, I, I know. I shouldn't have done that. That's, that's not good. I mean, I won't do that again. But see, if you don't press it, and what I mean by pressing, I mean by gently, you're, you're, you're trying to help. You're not trying to bury somebody with accusations. We're trying to get at what's going on. I mean, this is my sister. This is very important. Um, and so hopefully she confesses and you won your sister. Right? Isn't that cool? Yeah, we're quiet on that. Um, but what if, what if it keeps going? What if, what if she says initially, yeah, you're right, and she confesses, then you pray for her, and you let it go. You think it's okay. Next week, she doesn't come back. You wake up one morning, and her car is gone. I mean, it's really early. And so later on, you ask her and say, hey, did you sleep here last night? And I was at Tim's last night, and um, we were watching a movie late, and he just let me crash. Oh. I mean, did you guys, I mean, did you have sex again? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we did. I mean, I mean, you know that's wrong, right? What if, what if that keeps happening? What do you do? Do you go tell all your friends? No. Does it say that in Matthew 18:15? No. Let's see if it says it in Matthew 18:16. But if he or she does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses um, every fact may be confirmed. So Jesus has left us this really cool process that if somebody starts to have this repetition in sin, right? You get a friend or two to know this, to know your roommate, and say, hey, we need, could we talk about this, please? And you have a little meeting, and hopefully your friends, a couple of you can convince her, hey, you really don't want to sleep with somebody. You can't have, I mean, sexual immorality is sin. Jesus said it. Paul said it. Um, it's going to hurt you. It's just so critical that we want to see you walk in purity. Please, please don't do that. How can we help you? Right? I mean, isn't the goal to restore people? help people, strengthen people. That's what we want to do. 99 times out of 100, it will stop there. You'll win your brother. You'll win your sister. 99 times out of 100. Which is great. What Jesus Christ has designed for His body actually works. If we'll have the courage to tell our brother and our sister their faults. I'm not telling them my fault. They may get upset with me. You better tell them their fault because it's a command by Jesus. You're ahead. Right? Yeah. Well, what if um, what if the woman just keeps sleeping with the boyfriend and she just has hardened her heart? She's unrepentant. She's not going to listen. She didn't listen to the two two people that came over. She's not listening to you. She's sleeping with her boyfriend all the time. She's she admits it. And maybe she gets pregnant. She doesn't care. Okay. Well, Jesus, the head, has left us with one more avenue. Verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So if, there's a, if you know somebody and you've gone through that process and they've been in this unrepentant, hardened heart state, that's what I'm talking about, you have to come to the leadership of the church and say, hey, this is what's going on. This is what we've done. Could you help? And we'd be happy to help. In fact, we've done that over the years. And so hopefully the pastors, the leaders will be able to try to meet up with the situation and plead. It's really, it's a pleading. It's not a, oh, you wicked, evil, mean, nasty person. We're pleading. Please, we don't want to do this. I mean, this is going to hurt you. It's going to hurt your relationship with the Lord. I mean, please let us help you. 
It's a pleading. That's what that's what church leadership does. Um, if 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 we fail, if a person still hardens their heart, um, there's one last recourse. Jesus said, "Treat him as a tax collector and a sinner." In other words, uh, you treat him as a non-believer. The goal is to, ne- to win him back to Christ and then bring him back into the fold if you can. I mean, Paul said in the case of sexual immorality and. 1 Corinthians 5, 5, he said, I've, delivered, I've decided to deliver such a one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that the, his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. I'm not going to do a big teaching on this other than to say, what's it mean to be turned over to Satan? It means you're put out of the church. Now in his day, there really was only one church. <laughs> uh, today, if you leave this little teeny local body, you can go to another body if you want to. So I'm not sure if it quite has the effect that it did in his day. But you send people out. You send them out of the church. You say, look, just treat them as a non-believer. Pray for them. Witness to them. Evangelize them. Try to, try to get them back in the church. That's the goal. And if you don't believe it says that, in verse 13, Paul says this, uh, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. So that would be the extreme last result. But see, we have to talk about these things, as difficult as it may be. Because this is, this is who we are. This is what Jesus, this is his restorative process in the church. Right? It would be stupid to say, well, I'll just take all my platelets out of my body because I don't like the process of clotting. That doesn't make any sense, does it? So, I hope you see Matthew 18:15 as a beautiful process that our head has given us. And finally, forgiveness. You know, Peter goes on to say in Matthew 18, how many times should I forgive my brother? Up to seven times? No, 77s, Peter. Learn your math facts. Okay, 490 times. But in other words, you just keep forgiving, you keep forgiving, you keep forgiving. People hurt you, you keep forgiving. Let me just give you a definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness means you're canceling a debt. So when someone abuses your children... Would you agree they have a debt against you? Right? Forgiveness is canceling the debt that somebody has against you. Where did it come from? Remember in my other message I said that we're children of wrath. Right? We have stored up for ourselves wrath and judgment before we became Christians. We are enemies with God. Scripture says we're at enmity with God. Right? And we deserve to burn in a lake of fire and receive God's punishment and wrath for all of eternity. Okay, that's what we deserve. I covered that. What did Jesus do? That debt of burning in a lake of fire and taking the fullness of God's wrath was canceled by Jesus. So when Jesus was on a cross, what did he really do? As horrible as the physical crucifixion was, my guess is, what was more horrible was he actually suffered the fullness of God's wrath. The only way I can equate it is just eternity of burning in a lake of fire is what he took upon himself. He canceled our debt. So we don't say it flippantly. How can I forgive somebody that abuses my children? How can you forget your spouse that walks out on you? How can you forgive someone who's committed adultery with your spouse? How can you forgive someone who's divorced you? How can you do it? The only, this is the only way you can do this. Is you have to say, Jesus, <laughs> I see you forgave my incredible debt. And so I can forgive this lesser debt because you forgave me. That's the only way you're going to do it. By the Spirit of God, by the grace of Almighty God. Let me give you a definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness is this. Is releasing the debt that somebody owes you. Okay, In a sense, they should be punished for the offense that they've committed against you, right? They should be punished. You choose to release them from any punishment, okay? Hold them harmless, right? In legal talk. You also state in your mind or out loud that you will not be resentful toward them. You will not harbor any bitterness toward them. You speak blessings over them. You stretch out your hand towards them and their family. You are thankful to God. You pray over them. Right? That's forgiveness. Now sometimes it's really hard 
I mean, I've, I've, I've been fortunate. I haven't had to be in some certain situations, but I work with people that are in horrific situations. Horrific. Terrible. Absolutely miserable, terrible situations. And it takes years sometimes to forgive somebody. Years. And the last thing we should ever do is put pressure on somebody or condemn anybody because they, they have not been able to forgive somebody. Our job is to walk alongside people, love people, serve people. And when people get in trouble, we need to be like Job. Job's counselors actually did the right thing for the first seven days. you realize what they did? They did nothing. They said not one single word for seven straight days. So when you know somebody who's been divorced, and you know somebody that's going through terrible things, you don't say anything. Say nothing. You're there. You help them. You help them wash their car. You help them clean their carpets. Uh, you bless them. You pray for them. But you don't say anything. God will work in their hearts to forgive. It, it's just not an easy thing um, to do. But we have to forgive each other, don't we? And Jesus said, you have to forgive from your heart. Can the bride... Are we going to make it? I mean, are we going to be without spot and wrinkle? Yes or no? How are we going to be without spot and wrinkle? Concluding thought. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You confess it, we're clean. We're without spot. Not only that, what did Jesus say? Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. I mean, is hell going to overcome us? No. We're, we're already there. We're already seated in heavenly places right now. We're there. We're, we're going to make it. Right? Isn't that cool? We're going to make it. Jesus designed, the head of the body designed forgiveness, covering offenses, praying blessings, taking thoughts captive, um, destroying these lofty things that come against the knowledge of God, serving people, loving people. It's all designed. That's how we're going to make it. That's how this church is going to make it. The body of Christ throughout the entire planet. That's how we're going to do it. It's encouraging, and I can't wait to rule and reign with you guys forever on the planet. And, I mean, we're going to get along and love each other right now. <laughs> amen? Okay, amen. Thank you, Lord. Father, help us, Lord. Help us to hear from the head. Help us, Lord, to confess. Help us, Lord. To bless, help us, Lord, to take thought. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.